on this episode of AV Week, where is digital signage in relation to the commercial AV space? The pros and cons of using control modules and getting and deploying the big job. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 396, recorded Friday, March 29th, 2019. Inventing AV. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Sure, Sound Extraordinary, and by Chief, the global leader in commercial AV mounting solutions, and by Atlona, the go-to provider for AV signal distribution and control in corporate, higher education, and residential spaces. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. First and foremost, her name is A.V. Dawn or Dawn Mead, or is A.V. Dawn, and she is a fabulous A.V. professional who works as an end user now. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you for having me, Dan. Absolutely. Uh, Dawn is also uh, one of the hosts of our uh, A.V. social show, uh, so thank you so much. Also with us is an old friend of mine who I've learned more than I care to admit from. Her name is Melissa Dillman, and she works from Steren Marketing. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you, Tim. Welcome. Uh, and last but not least, uh, Mr. Keith uh, Kennedy. Keith uh, works for a company, a manufacturer called Grand Bean, uh, and also a, a longtime in industry professional. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Tim. Welcome. Absolutely. Um, so as the old saying goes, I just flew in from town and uh, boy, are my arms tired. Uh, I landed uh, Friday, um, uh, March 29th, and I just got back from DSC literally this morning. <laughs> this morning. Um, so let's talk about DSA Digital Science Expo 2019 took place March 27th through the 28th. Um, actually, the, the entire thing was they did uh, training on the 26th. They also did some other doing some today, actually, the 29th. So technically, the conference, if you go to the website, it'll say 26th to the 29th. But the actual show floor was the 27th and 28th. A number of different things uh, was re re released, a couple of them beforehand. Nothing groundbreaking, right? Nobody released, you know, the next greatest, latest, greatest um, game changer. I, I don't believe I saw that. If I did, I probably blocked it out because um, I tend to do that that particular um, uh, use case. But um, a couple of things. Almo uh, announced their digital signage services um, as a product at, at the show. Uh, and that actually um, came from an acquisition they, they did last year. Um, in addition to that, um, uh, Sharp kind of double down or triple down on their 8K. Not for nothing, but Sharp, um, a Japanese manufacturer, Japan specifically is pushing 8K a lot because of the 2020 Olympics. Um, so you've got 8K in digital signage. You've got a couple other um, interesting things happening in that space. Um, Don, we're going to start with you on this. Where do you guys see whether you put whatever hat you want on, whether the, your current hat is a, as, a, as an end user or your, your former hat as an integrator? Where do we see digital signage um, in, in the, the traditional AV space today? Well, speaking from the integrator perspective, the digital signage market somehow split off from the AV market some time ago. And you got the whole out of home, uh, you know, DOOH 
and, and a lot of companies specialize in digital signage that don't necessarily, other than the, the, the display manufacturers, of course, don't really play in the AV market and vice versa. I know when I was a small integrator, um, a lot of the integrator firms, we didn't even bid on or know about the digital signage bids that came down the pike because there were digital signage specific companies that did that. Um, little known fact, for about six months pro after my AV integrator career and before coming to where I am now as an end user, I spent some time working for a digital signage and LED display company. And it was really eye-opening for me. Um, as, as I said, you know, there was this split between out-of-home digital signage market and what we call traditional AV, you know, boardrooms, conference rooms, classrooms. And it was really fascinating getting to know some of these manufacturer names, spending some time in the very bright corner of Infocom where most integrators fear to tread, <laughs> where the uh, LED world, um, and, and learning about the things that matter to them, things like atten attention analytics, things like some of the sensors and, and some of the incredible technology that's coming out of that field. It was really eye-opening to me and things that while I'm not applying in my very secure, tight end user position now with a defense contractor, certainly I've applied those lessons and kept some of those technologies in mind going forward for designing an AV. Um, it, it's sort of a separate parallel industry, but I, I still, I've said it for a decade now, it's a space that AV integrators should look at and should get up to speed on because there's so much crossover that, you know, a company, a corporation like mine with worldwide presence, we have boardrooms and classrooms, but we also have need for digital signage within the enterprise and out in our customer spaces. And if we can go to one trusted vendor and take that business to that one trusted vendor, that would be way easier than going out and finding the out of home guy and finding the display guy and finding the integrator for the inside stuff. And so I, I think that, that it's a separate market in some respects, but I think more integrators should pay attention to it and, and figure it out a little bit because it is not going away and it is a big market. Yeah. I, I would argue if you went to the digital signage uh, expo, um, website or anytime you, you look at digital signage, whether it's an ISC or, or, or uh, the folks that come to Infocom, I would argue that most, uh, most commercial integrators would know about half of the vendors, right? Um, and just off the top of my head, you have Samsung, you have Sharp, I already mentioned, you have Draper was there. Um, you've got, um, 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 oh, good Lord. LG. LG thank you. <laughs> Good night. It's been a long, it was a long time. Um, you've got a number, you've got peerless AV that are there. You know, you've got folks, uh, Little Big Grand had a booth there. So you've got these folks that you're going to see at Infocom, right? You, you've got these right. companies that you already know that are in this space. So if you're interested in getting there, use them as leverage, right? Talk to your, yeah. to your Legrand rep, talk to your peerless AV rep. And say, hey, you know, I'm 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 looking at this as a possible, you know, vertical to get into. Um, can you help me? You know, what, where well, would you What would you suggest? You know, hey, you've already got a toe in the pool, man. Yeah. Dive in. Yeah. <laughs> it's another profit center potentially. You know, if right. you learn what you're doing. If you learn what you're doing, which I'm going next, Melissa. <laughs> I say that Melissa. I, I the first time I met Melissa was in a class, and I sat there with my jaw open probably for the first three hours. Because not not kidding. I mean, Melissa has helped a lot of us in the industry, you know, 
Um, Former Infocom Educator of the Year, I believe. Um, so, and an SCN Hall of Famer. Um, so, where where do we think? Where, where do you think we sit with with digital signage and and with, with with the intersection between digital signage and commercial integration? So, I agree with Dawn, right? Like, she's absolutely right. We need to learn more. Um, and as that being the key component, I keep hearing we need to learn more. Um, I announced that we will be teaching digital signage courses, imagine that, um, at Starin. So I have a new training center that um, is opening uh, at the end of April. One of the things we're going to do is hands-on teach people how to install video walls and in, in the same vein, talk about the artistic side, the content side because that's um, a recurring revenue stream that certainly we can take advantage of as integrators and professionals in the industry. We just haven't. Now it does require that maybe we find a different talent pool, right? Maybe you have to acquire the guys that have that artistic side that can do that. But I wanna do the hands-on, that's, that's a big push for me for installation and, and education this year is letting people put their hands on products, let's install it, let's learn how to do more with it. So, coming soon. All right, all right, Mr. Keith, uh, where do you see, you know, the digital signage um, intersection between, you know, commercial AV and, and kind of where you sit and, and traditional digital signage? Well, I think that the vast majority of what digital signage is all about is parts and pieces of what we do every day in pro AV already. Um, you know, you go to the shows and a lot of the same vendors are there, uh, especially ISC. Um, some of the digital signage content uh, creation companies and distribution companies are, are there every year. Um, you have displays, you have mounts, you have methods of distribu distributing the signal, you have players. Uh, it is uh, what Melissa and Don have already said, adding to it, adding new skills, acquiring new skills with content creation, creativity, um, and, and other types of things that will enhance it. I think as AV professionals, we all need to constantly look at what are the needs out there? How are the markets changing? And what can we use that we already have in our arsenals today? And what do we need to add to it to continue to make ourselves relevant and continue to add profit centers? And in the case of digital signage and some of these other new things, maybe even recurring monthly revenue. I mean, there, there's definitely recurring monthly revenue opportunities with digital signage. Um, and you definitely want to try to keep your customers in-house. Um, you don't want them to have to go outside for other parts of it. Um, so it behooves all of us to figure this stuff out and, uh, and, and do it well. Amen. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a number of folks that we've talked to over the years, um, two that, that come to mind. Uh, one is, is a company out of um, uh, Minneapolis, uh, Alpha Video. In other words, is a, is a friend of mine here in, in St. Louis, CTI. Both of them have in-house uh, you know, artistic, artistic departments, right, specifically geared towards uh, the digital signage market. So, yeah. Uh, all right, folks, our next story comes to us from Innovate on the Net. Alan and Heath announces Crestron, AMX, and Extron control integration. Uh, Alan and Heath has released some drivers that are based on Alan and Heath's TCP IP uh, controls, so the network control. Uh, 
allowing, allowing for integration with third-party equipment and control systems. If you click on the link, that'll be on, on this page of the site. Uh, it'll take you to a, a, a slick uh, Crestron uh, control panel showing you basically a, a virtual board, and a virtual board is a touch panel uh, interface for a board. Uh, Melissa, I want to start with you on this because um, as a, a, I'm going to say former programmer now, I can't say the last time I programmed a system, but I, 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 I appreciated the drivers, right? Especially driven by the manufacturers because two reasons. Number one, I knew that I wasn't going to screw it up. Um, it, it, was, it was their control. It was, it was them and their engineers that either wrote the, the module internally or they had somebody uh, write, write it for them, but you're going to get all of the parts and pieces, all of the uh, gazentas and gazautas available to you with these modules. How do you kind of translate that between, you know, the manufacturer and, and the, you know, your guys' customer, the integrator, to kind of get those two folks together if, because if, if there's not a module, maybe to get one made or, or maybe start that conversation? You know, um, we see a lot more of requests for uh, modules, and, and sometimes what it is, it's going directly to the manufacturer and being the middle guy, helping get them developed if they're not already there. Um, looking ahead at new products that are coming and helping um, coordinate those kinds of efforts between the two. So the other thing we're seeing, though, is a lot of requests for open appies that allow people to go outside of the control systems. So the standard control systems um, we're, we're seeing within certain market segments where they're looking for alternatives. Uh, Keith, as, as a manufacturer on the panel here, um, do you guys have a process or maybe you don't, you know, uh, you guys don't specifically, but you, you have in a former life, you also worked for a control manufacturer. So I, you know, maybe talk about it from that aspect or from your current space where, you know, describe the kind of the process of, you know, creating some of these modules is it something where you wait for not enough, um, enough folks to ask for this, right? Or is it one of these things where, you know what, this is a pretty complicated thing. Let's go ahead and do this proactively. Well, uh, first all, I'll start from, you know, kind of echoing what you said, being a former programmer as well. Um, I appreciate modules and uh, would always use a, a pre-made module whenever, whenever I could uh, when I was integrating a product. So yes, it's definitely very important. So we make a lot of products for a lot of different um, companies out there. And the vast majority of them have uh, 232 and TCP IP control. Uh, and we create APIs for every single uh, product that we make. So we don't make any drivers because we don't have the control systems. There's so many different control systems that are out there. And, you know, it would be, it's just not efficient for us to do that. However, what we have done is we have uh, established relationships with driver um, developers around the globe for our customers that don't have the resources in-house to develop them themselves. Uh, some of our customers, obviously, we build some products for some companies that do have uh, control systems, so they do it themselves. Yeah. Uh, but we go through a process where uh, whether they are uh, able to develop it themselves or they need it developed for them, we work with them we uh, make all of the arrangements. We work with them with, in supplying the API, going through it, making sure they understand it, making sure they have the test equipment, 
uh, and you know through our support facility here in Orlando, as well as the uh, the main office in Shenzhen, uh, we sort support them through the development and the testing process. But this is uh, you know across the board extremely important because if anybody deploys a product uh, into the marketplace, they have to have a stable of drivers uh, for all of the uh, major control system, and, and in some cases, the, the tertiary control system companies, because there's so many of them out there and everybody just has one that they want to use, or maybe they have two that they use. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and in getting those, you know, getting those in there and getting those tested and vetted both internally to, you know, to the manufacturer as well as, you know, to the, the uh, dealer themselves is, is important. So, um, all right. The, um, not only the uh, manufacturer, not the manufacturer, but only the dealer standpoint, but also the end user standpoint. Um, I, I want to get your your take on the use of modules uh, and, and pros and cons, both from your dealer side, but also from the uh, the end user side, because there are, are has started to be uh, conversations had again about owning the code, and I honestly don't believe that we're still having conversations. But in Sound of Communications, there's a gentleman who wrote a two part piece about it, and my position on this has, is, is well documented uh, on AP Nation as well as other places. I think the end user owns the code. That, you know, that's you know, that's my, my, my take on it. That's my position. But modules is one of those areas where it, it's not even, I don't think, it's not even a conversation because you're taking something. If I'm the programmer and I take a module from Keith, Keith made it, right? I didn't make this. I grabbed his module, his work, his IP, his, his, his intellectual property. His, I'm taking that. And then I'm parts and pieces it together and I'm, I, I'm creating the, the control system there and then I'm passing it on to you. That's why I think, you know, the end user owns it. But talk about the pros and cons, both from the, the, the dealer standpoint, as well as the person actually, you know, receiving the, the program, receiving the control program. Right. Well, I mean, when we were integrators, we, the companies that I worked for loved manufacturers that would come up with modules like this because it made life easier on us. If we had on staff programmers, they were usually one guy, you know, little mom and pop integrator. And that one guy was doing every project we did. And sometimes those projects were multiple rooms and sometimes they weren't all copy paste rooms. And so then you had to sit there and custom program so many things that the one guy was constantly behind, overwhelmed and just generally cranky. And now I'm not just talking about my ex-husband who worked as a programmer at one of the companies I worked for. But seriously, <laughs> you know, it, 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 is, it is invaluable from, from the integrator standpoint to have access to these modules, to be able to call up your friends at Crestron, AMX, Extron, uh, insert, you know, Utelogy, Control 4, insert name here, and say, hey, I need a module for product XYZ and I need it by tomorrow or by next week and have them respond because that, that can be the basis of a really good relationship that would then result in that company getting more business from the integrator. Um, from the end user standpoint, I can tell you one of the first things I did when I started here, in addition to putting in Infocom standards and, and uh, you know, AQAV and all those sorts of things into our SOWs, the very next thing we did was add the line and integrator you know of record shall turn over uncompiled or um, editable code at the end of the project you know we're a large multinational company with locations all around the world 
we are trying, I am trying as the AV architect to standardize the user experience, uh oh, there's that word, across the enterprise for all of our vice presidents, presidents, directors, managers, yada, yada, and for our customers. And so I want someone here at our Baltimore or DC location to go into a boardroom and have a touch panel experience or a control experience the same as they might hit in California or the UK or, you know, Asia. You know, we want to have that consistent user experience. And the only way we can do that is by having access to the code, you know, the whole who owns the code thing. And the only way we can do that is with the co cooperation of our manufacturers and our programmers or our integrators. So, you know, just for the sheer scale of what we're attempting to do for a company like mine, we need the assistance of modules. We need the ability to have editable code. We need to have a consistent GUI, whether I design it for the enterprise or whether one of our local programmer integrator guys came up with something slick looking that we really want to use. And then we can copy paste that around the world. Even if it's a local integrator in wherever, putting it together for us, we give them a standard. Here is what our company GUI should look like. Here is basic directions on how our workflow should be in this room. And because we're giving them standards of what equipment we want, you know, even here are the, which companies and products we want to use because they have modules that should make your job easier, integrators. So, you know, in that regard, it's invaluable. And yay, Alan Heath for for launching their modules and other manufacturers, if you're listening, help out your integrators, help out your end users and include modules because it will drive repeat business. If you make yourself difficult to do business with, we're not gonna do business with you. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, last story here. Um, at, at the start of uh, the baseball season here in the US, we're gonna talk about a football stadium. Um, last week, uh, Avixa held um, kind of a tour of the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia, which uh, those of you that follow American football, that is where the Super Bowl was held this year. It is an absolute marvel. I, I don't think I can un understate or overstate that enough. Uh, from a technological standpoint, from a sheer size standpoint, if you're driving through Atlanta and you find yourself um, upon a giant silver mountain, <laughs> uh, that's it. <laughs> it it's in, it's in, you know it's in Melissa's backyard. She lives in Atlanta, um, but it was it was a nice it was a nice tour. Uh, several folks um, were able to uh, go through it. Uh, the story we're going to use it from commercial integrator. Uh, our friend Cindy Davis uh, was able to moderate a panel there. Folks from Barco was there. Folks from Diversified were there. Uh, it was a really really interesting uh, tour and really interesting um, stories to, to read. I want to read some of these uh, quotes though. Some of these spe specifications. There are over 2,500 IPTVs in this space. There are 4,200 speakers, 1,800 access points, and almost 5,000 miles of fiber optic cable. This is a ginormous undertaking. Uh, IBM was involved in this, and they actually developed uh, not only an app for the Falcons, which is the, the American football stadium uh, team that's home, home there, but also uh, the United, which is the um, the American soccer team that is there, but they also have a specified app for the stadium itself. And they developed a voice uh, voice uh, system called Ask Arthur, uh, which folks in some suites were able to access. And so there's a lot of stuff going on here, a lot of interaction, a lot of uh, crosstalk between IT and AV. Keith, I'm going to start with you on this. Um, 
same question to kind of all three of you though, but when you get a, a job of this size, and let's talk about from the manufacturing standpoint, how do you support, in this case it's diversified, but how do you support the integrator who it's their responsibility now to make this experience, to use Don's word again, experience happen in, in a pretty seamless way to where the, the client can co go in and go, yeah, this is exactly it, or maybe even, you know, this is more than I ever expected. Well, uh, I think it starts with putting together a great team, um, starting with a specification and starting to look at all of the um, applications and all of the user experiences that are expected uh, in this type of project and start documenting everything, start identifying, you know, where are the science projects? What, what things are we going to have to invent or come up with new products or new applications for to make all this happen? And, um, you know, plug everything into a schedule, uh, creating uh, milestones and critical paths and things like that, and start figuring out what we need to do and when um, to make sure that there are no, okay, boxes are going to show up on site and nobody knows what to do with them and they don't even know if they're going to work for this given application. Um, you can't have any of that. This, this, this project, and it, you know, spells it out. Um, in the article that you forwarded to us before this, this, this was years in the making. Um, so, you know, there was a lot, there were a lot of things that were developed uh, for this products, um, methodologies, um, software applications and things like that. So, you know, it, it's, this is a, a tremendous under, undertaking. Um, you know, it's unfortunate I have not been able to, uh, to visit the center yet. But uh, I have been following it, and uh, I can't wait to get the opportunity to go there. And you and me, I, I, did, uh, I did drive by. My son is, oddly enough, my son who lives in St. Louis, is, uh, he's a Falcons fan. I'm not quite sure why. Uh, <laughs> but on our last time through, through, uh, through Atlanta, we drove him by and said, okay, there's, there's, there's where they play. We'll, we'll take you someday. Um, Don, from, uh, let's take you from the end user side here. Uh, you work for a fairly large multinational corporation. You guys don't build stadiums, but you build large buildings. A project like this, what's a success look like? Um, and don't tell me there's no problems because that's just not possible. But what, what does success look like when you're doing something of this level, of this of this magnitude? What does it look like to you as the end user? You know, there's several different ways to measure success of a project that huge, that giant of an undertaking. Some of that progress or success is the day-to-day -day stuff. Hey, did we make all of our milestones this week? Hey, did our guys show up and did, you know, in the case of the, the, the stadium here, did the roof fail to close and cause issues with water? Or, or, or did everything go smoothly? You know, those little victories, they add up to the big successes on these kinds of projects. Um, but really, it, it's, there, there, there's an adage we learned at Infocom school. I think it was the Apex class I took some years ago. They said, you know, one hour of preparation can save you like eight hours or, or, a, or a week of, of hassle at the end of your project. And a project of this scope and scale, you have to throw all those hours in to preparation. You have to document, you have to plan, you have to organize. Because the more you plan, the more you prepare, the better your drawings, the more coordination that you have in advance of the first truck growing, going on site, 
the more likely you are to have success because yeah, there's gonna be problems. You're gonna fall behind. There's gonna be a problem getting some supplies from a manufacturer, you know, or there's gonna be a, a shipping problem or a tariff issue or a, whatever, or a labor strike depending on where you are. There's gonna be some issues. But the more you've planned and prepared in advance, the more you're able to like be agile and work around those issues. You can say, all right, this milestone's gonna move, but this can come up in, in its place. You know, there, there's a lot of flexibility there if you know what you're doing. But if you're coming in and flying by the seat of your pants or just trying to get it done, it's a sure sign of failure. So I think there's some really strict methodology for planning and project management that has to happen on a, on a project this size. Now, completely as an aside, I am desperately jealous of anyone that's gotten to go to this place I remember a few years ago at one of the, uh, I think it was the BLC, NSCA's BLC, was down in um, Dallas, and we got to tour as part of the event, the Dallas Stadium, which at the time was the big sexy of the NFL, and I was blown away by that and just geeking out, and then this comes some years later, and makes that place look like, you know, an antique. And it's like, I, I want to go here. I want to, I want to play with the roof. I want to go in the control room. I want to see all the little, you know, I mean, the difference between even like the rack room for the main stadium concourses and the broadcast booth with all of its equipment, you know, yeah. we got to see all the racks in Dallas. I want to see Atlanta. So uh, totally jealous of those of you that have been there. And at some point I'll get down there to see it myself because wow. Well, well, well don't, don't get too jealous because, and I'm not being cynical here, um, nor am I doing sour grapes, but the Rams uh, will open a new facility. Oh, that's true. Uh, who used to live in, in St. Louis, but now they live in LA and that's fine. Uh, but uh, they'll be opening a new facility in, um, in Inglewood. Uh, I want to say 2020 or 2021. And if you miss that new one, uh, <laughs> to go to the Raiders' new facility in Las Vegas, uh, which we were there this week with DSC. It's right on the highway, and it's going to be a, a, a pretty significant one as well. So, And if anyone from Avixa is watching, that better be a tech tour in a couple of years Absolutely. because I will sign up for that. Yeah, that certainly it should be. Uh, Ms. Dillman, I want to take a, a slightly different angle and something off of what Don said. You know, Get your folks ready. Get your people. Make sure that they know what they're doing. How do you do that? Uh, as an integra as a, as a business owner, as a, somebody who owns an integration firm, how do you get your team ready to know that you know that you could do a project like this? Uh, you know, we're talking a lot of education, a lot of coordination, right? In yeah. um, while the article um, was very nice, I think there were a project of that size. You have to remember that there are multiple people who are involved, multiple companies. Um, there's just so many different avenues that they had to go down. But what's really interesting, and since it's baseball today, Tim, for you, when you're talking about creativity and, and creating new things, I find it really interesting that here in Atlanta, we have, we have this monster um, football stadium and soccer stadium. But um, we also have the baseball stadium that's not very old. No. Comcast, who... Um, has a huge innovation center built onto that area in order to test and create new things to facilitate the baseball stadium and the experience. And they're doing a bunch of R&D there. It's really cool. You can see it when you're down in the battery. So I think it's interesting that Atlanta all of a sudden has decided to become a sports technology hub 
um, not to mention our esports. So it's an interesting, uh, interesting dynamic that's developing here. Yeah, absolutely. I just wish you guys could have held on to your to your hockey team. That's just my own two cents. So um, it is hot, Lana. It is hot, Lana. And, and, and for those of you who don't follow the NHL, the Thrashers, who are now the Predators in from Nashville, used to be in Atlanta. So. Uh, all right, guys, that is going to do it for us. Enough sports for one day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ms. Dawn Mead, how do people find you? Well, since I work in a new industry, you can't find me at my job, but you can certainly always find me here on avnation.tv. I host the AV Social Show, and I appear here on AV Week periodically, whatever Tim's nice enough to call me. Um, also, you can find me always on the interwebs at AV Dawn or Dawn Mead. All right, very good. Ms. Dillman, thank you so much. Uh, how do people find you and or Starin? Hey, you know, you can go to sales at starin.biz. You can always find me at Melissa Dillman on Twitter and LinkedIn, wherever you're looking. Um, I'm around, got all kinds of fun and exciting things coming your way very soon. Yeah, you, you might want to you, you uh, follow along with what Starin's got. They've got some Quite, quite exciting things happening in the next next few months. Let's just Big say. announcements. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Very excited for you guys. Uh, all right, Mr. Kennedy, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. How do people find you? Oh, uh, you can find me on Twitter at HiFi Keith and uh, on LinkedIn, as well as at pretty much any trade show and airport around the globe. <laughs> That's actually accurate. He's getting on the plane tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, just for the record, so we appreciate his time. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, don't follow me. Uh, I've already uh, on the Twitters because I've already uh, expressed my my dislike of baseball. So I'm I'm counting down the days to football. Uh, just for the record, the NFL's 100th uh, anniversary starts off with the most important game of the year, and that is the Bears versus the Packers. Not that I'm biased by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but go by the website if you would please, avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. While you're there, please check out our supporters. These are the folks who help us financially, help us bring you AV Week and DSC 2019. In about two months' time, will help us bring you Infocom 2019 live from Orlando. So check all that all that out. As well, check out our other uh, shows. Uh, Don mentioned AV Social. We'll be recording another one of those in a couple of weeks. Uh, we also have a couple of new ones. One is called the Digital Signage Digest, uh, hosted by Lenore. She looks at the digital signage industry and how it actually does intersect uh, with the AV industry. So check all that out and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.